The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. The Chiefs are still unbeaten with five rounds to play in Super Rugby Pacific, while Leinster and La Rochelle have set up another blockbuster Champions Cup final in Dublin later this month. Your place for the biggest and best discussion on all rugby topics is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Outstanding to have the great Springbok flanker Rob Lowe on the pod last week, and I'm still quite surprised how quickly one of if not the longest pod chat we've ever had just absolutely flew by and do check it out if you've not yet found it yet it's a a great chat with a childhood hero for the man joining me this and every week someone i now fear has kidnapped the pod accountant and has installed them as the lighting guy for his full-time traveling photographer coming in yet again from the city of love harry jones mate why are you in paris this time hey how's it brett you know it's really affecting that I have a very flexible travel budget because the World <laughs> Cup is in France this year. So let's just be let's just be reminded mm. of some of those shenanigans. Mm. But no, I'm in the bowels of the Charles de Gaulle airport right now doing reconnaissance, which I think we should say is the re-re-reconnaissance <laughs> of all the facilities being, that are available for You're the being traveler. very methodical, mate, I have to say. <laughs> you're being very methodical. It's all it's all very good. It's good to good to see that you're checking in on the uh, the people of, of Paris and that everything's fine. Um, heroes and zeros. This could be timed actually, um, because I think I know who your zero is. My hero for you this week is Brumby's lock, Nick Frost. Now, Australian rugby fans' first real taking notice of Nick Frost was a 60 meter runaway try that he scored in the junior wallabies a couple of years ago. And we've kind of been waiting for him to produce a moment very, very similar in senior rugby. Well, Friday night in Wellington against the Hurricanes, he produced this. Across for Artie Savia, now Morgan. Oh, it's been intercepted. In fact, boy, there's some pace being shown here by Big Nick Frost again. Can he jump? Can he make it too? I reckon he can. Nick Frost. Two for the night. And, mate, now that all happened so quickly that you heard it there in commentary. Poor old Grant Nisbet didn't even realise it was a charge down. It was a phenomenal piece of skill. Just sort of bounced into his knee, ball straight up the hands, gone. Six, 70 metres. One of the great lock tries of the year, I would say. No, he's really got some leg, doesn't he? He can really motor. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that some of the chasers gave up. <laughs> One guy went to the finish, but everyone else said, no, nah, he's gone. I thought it was notable that the first guy there to congratulate him was Caden Neville. Not the wingers. Oh. <laughs> Make it that no, what you will. He has really good form. He's like a guy who can actually run. Like sometimes locks are quick, but they look awkward. He looked like mm. he's proportional. Yeah. Mm, yeah. As far as locks go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hit me with a zero. Uh, so in France, we would say it's nul. C'est nul. Uh, it's really, it's very uh, challenging to call one of the best rugby players uh, in the world, Antoine Dupont, uh, a nul. But I would say that in some cases, we could look at him as a guy who has not really worked out in the very biggest matches how to impose himself. Mm. He can be taken out of the game. There's three matches I'm pointing to right now. Uh, the Wallabies, the Springboks, and now for his club, for mm. Toulouse, which has incredible pedigree, but really got hammered by Leinster. And that's not that's before uh, DuPont mm. was taken to 10. He was being outplayed by Jameson Gibson Park before that. And I think in the biggest matches, when you are not going to be able to roll over someone, DuPont's roving brief of being this nine that can rove around the whole field is not really going to play maybe in the tightest games. Mm. And so I think that's a worry for Fabian Galtier is 
how can he get his best player to play his best on the best in the on the biggest matches when it really matters yeah no doubt yeah. no doubt your side of the draw dare i say it would have taken note of it. <laughs> no no doubt at all no doubt at all uh mate on to this week's guest um someone whose surprise decision earlier this year i think shocked australian rugby um but whose future plans were made very much with the game in australia at uh, at front of mind the raw rugby podcast we go back to the Pods Brisbane studios this week where it's a very warm welcome onto the Raw Rugby podcast, a former Burdekin Cane Toad and South Brisbane prop, former Tuggeranong Vikings and NTT Dockermore Red Hurricanes coach, and he's done a little bit with the Brumbies and the Wallabies as well. He's on the move again where next season he'll take the reins of the Leicester Tigers in the Premiership. Please welcome Dan McKellar. Hello, mate. Great to talk to you again. G'day, Brett. G'day, Harry. Thanks for having hey, me. Hey, Dan. That's uh, it. And uh, very good we make this happen. We've been trying to do it for about two months it feels like but we finally made the planets align yeah mate on the schedules all over the shop these days with time differences and zoom meetings and and that sort of thing but uh no glad to uh glad to have a chat and and uh just look forward to uh spending the next hour or so talking rugby yeah no we will certainly do that and we start the same place every week mate and it's a simple what stood out for you on the weekend you would have watched a lot of rugby on both sides of the world what did you see that you went oh wow that's cool uh nick frost to be honest um yeah just that 70 odd meter try it was um, incredible wasn't I, it? I had a bit of a chuckle and and during the game uh sent him a sent him a text message because i've been saying to him for you know a good four or five years now that a 70 meter try is not too far away and it'll happen one day <laughs> uh, and sure enough it happened on friday night over in uh windy wellington um where he managed to pick that ball up after a little charge down and and run the length, and I think he surprised a, a few people. And um, yeah, that was uh, that was a great great to see, and just see him out in the open, just for everyone to experience and witness his his genuine athleticism. Yeah, and I suppose Corey Tool's speed to set up uh, the other try as well. His first try, you know, down that left edge, um, it's just genuine gas, and that's that's a real point of difference for the Brumbies this year, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, you. Had a you played a role in Corey Tool joining the program last year. You would have seen a little bit of him playing for the Gungahlin Eagles before he took off on the sevens circuit. What was it that convinced you that he was ready to play Super Rugby last year? I think the the confidence that he took out of um, out of the sevens circuit. You know, yeah. he just grew and grew. There's there's no hiding in that sevens. Like I, I, you know, I'm I'm far from an expert on sevens, but um, one thing that is obvious is. Um, you know, there's no hiding defensively. There's no hiding in and around your breakdown work. Um, and if you've got genuine speed, then then you can really thrive um, mm. in sevens. But not only in sevens, as he's showing now in in fifteens and in Super Rugby, and yep. and uh, he's an excitement machine. He, people pay money to to go and see yeah. players like Corey Tool play, um, and he, he's got a big future ahead of him. And I think the other side of it is is his physicality, you know, and he showed that in sevens and probably learned a bit about himself in sevens as well. He, he doesn't shirk away from um, breakdown work or, or, or making sure that he makes his tackles. He's um, He plays nice and physical and he's mm. tough, he's brave. So um, he's got all the attributes to have a uh, long and successful career, both at super rugby level and hopefully one day in a Wallabies jersey. Yeah, quite probably. It's probably, Harry, one of those things where suddenly he's got – more time on a on a rugby field because there's more guys around him. He's not having to cover ten meters in defence. He's only having to cover three, and so he can actually do more in, with his time and, and his space. 
Yeah, it's maybe a little more uh, directed. I mean, in sevens, you have to rock a lot. You counter rock a lot. Mm. Um, I think, you know, these code shifts can go both ways. Sometimes you can have more freedom when you shift codes because you're, you're just focusing on a few things. Mm. Um, yeah, for, so for me, the, what stood out this weekend was, um, I know the Irish and the French are debating about who's going to win the World Cup, but the Kiwis looked like they may have something to say about it. The Chiefs-Crusaders um, match was ferocious Fantastic, wasn't it? and yeah. incredibly skillful and there are people who are staking a claim right now and they don't seem ready to give it back to the uh, incumbents i mm. think you know one of our friends jamie wall said that damian mckenzie is the form 10 and he just looks like he's on a mission uh there are other players too that look like they want to have that yeah. whole black jersey i thought it was highly compelling it could have gone the other way the crusaders i keep waiting for the crusaders to do what crusaders usually do yeah because they haven't done like, it yet this year not ready. no they're not ready no. to give it back no no we want it yeah yeah no that's that's interesting i i i couldn't go past the scenes at at twickenham on the weekend when the mm. the, the roses played france in that last women's six nations game the mm. what what with 50 55 58 thousand people there flooding a women's Good international stuff. and it was great when we saw the same thing at eden park last year for the the, the the women's world cup final this is just another step forward in the game and it was just absolutely phenomenal and it'll come to a point where very soon i think where we're not actually differentiating we won't be talking about it's women's mm. game it's it'll it'll just be it'll just be a six nations game it just happens to be played by women it, and like it's always been the case women. it's always been the case our our sport has always been one of the most open Mm. Uh, progressive, uh, inviting sports out there. It's been that way forever. And this is just one more example of mm. uh, we're better than soccer. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> Are you looking forward to that sort of thing, Dan, when you get over to, to Leicester? And we'll, we will get onto this very shortly. But when you do get over there and you'll you'll see how it's very much a case of it, it is it is becoming just rugby that's being played. And, and Arabella McKenzie said this to us only a couple of weeks ago. It's just she can't believe some of the atmosphere that she's playing in front of at the moment. Yeah, well, the Leicester girls have just been promoted to uh, the Premiership for next year as yeah. well. Mm. So you know, there's, there's real interest there. But I actually showed both my daughters um, and my wife uh, yesterday, um, you know, just vision of 58,000 people at Twickenham um, watching uh, the, the women's games. It's just, it's just such, a, such a great uh, advertisement for, for the game. And, and off the back of Eden Park, the growth in in, yeah. in women's rugby. Um, you know, my youngest is actually she's a touch player, and she's weighing up whether she plays rugby. I said, "Well, you won't get a better opportunity than to start um, absolutely than, than in England, where I think you know the English have probably they're ahead of most at the moment in terms yep. of the women's game in particular with that professional league that they have off the ground. So, no, it's exciting times ahead for um for women's sport, but women's rugby in particular. Yeah, no doubt at all. We will get to the Leicester move the. The big news on on Monday, and for a change, Harry, some big news broke before we recorded instead of just afterward, like that <laughs> seems to be the case in recent weeks. But uh, Andy Marinos uh, resigning as Rugby Australia CEO. Dan, I know coaches and CEOs tend to just sort of get on with the job, but you would have had a little bit to do with with Andy over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, good man, Andy. Um, and, uh, you know, it's obviously a high, highly stressful position that he's in. Um, there's, there's been plenty going on. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed, um, the, you know, the, the conversations that I had with him. I certainly wasn't mm. working with him on a day-to-day basis, but, um, you know, very respectful. He took the time to call me um, when I made the decision to to, to move abroad and, and uh, you know, things like that I, I respect. And yeah, um, yeah he, he'll be a loss. He was obviously involved in, in running Super Rugby for Sansa previous. 
Um, so, you know, he's a, a really good administrator that, um, you know, hopefully in some capacity stays within the game. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, I would hate to think that he's he's lost to rugby completely, Harry. But, I mean, we spoke to him back, when was it, early February, week, week Super Rugby started, wasn't it? And I think it was it was a really enjoyable chat we found, wasn't it? Yeah, and he seemed very excited about it. You know, mm. one question I did ask him, and he he sidestepped a little bit, but I think he knew what I was talking about. As I said, Andy, it seems to me Eddie Jones has been most successful when he's had a strong counterbalance personality to save him from his own worst instincts. Um, <laughs> it's good for Eddie, in other words, mm. to have a strong counterbalance. It's not bad, but I think sometimes Eddie thinks it's bad. Uh, and I wonder if this is part of that. And I guess my question for you, Dan, is I know at the Brumbies, one of the things you were able to do better than most clubs, better than any club in Australia, was to keep a cast of characters that was strong. You know, you could be there, but you'd also have Laurie Fisher. And there's not a stronger character in the game than than Lord Laurie. Um, the back office was in sync with the front. The mm. players were in sync with the fans. Um, succession planning, I guess, that is what I'm talking about. That was partly, um, because, that was partly because you guys were all skill, skill, scared of Phil Thompson, though, isn't it, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, oh, he's an outstanding uh, CEO, Tomo. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially yeah. for a head coach. Like, um, you know, I actually spoke to Tomo today uh, and, and talked to him regularly. He's uh, he, he just gets high performance. He was obviously the team manager of the Wallabies and the Brumbies before mm. – um, you know, he would uh, he try and protect the head coach to a certain extent from not having to deal with um, a whole heap of board meetings and that sort of thing. Understanding that my job is to get the team to win games of rugby on a on a Friday Friday or a Saturday uh, evening, um, and he was very good at that. But just a great leader as well. Well, very calm, very composed, um, and you know knew knew his place within the organisation as well and. And he'd give you his opinion um, when you asked, but he just had that uh, that great ability to know when to um, put his opinion forward or when to just hold back and and, mm. and let you make the decision for yourself. But I was very grateful to work with such a such a good leader and such a good rugby man. Yeah, yeah, it's always been one of the highlights of of, of the Brumbies program, the synergy between between on field and off. Sorry. How do you how do you do that, Dan? Like, what what's the intent behind that? What's the philosophy? To build a you know a ten year stretch a seven year stretch of of synergy. Uh, that's a really good question, Harry. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, like it's. I think it's just a you know, it's a boring answer, but it's a day to day approach. Honestly, <laughs> if, you, if you start if you start thinking too far ahead, then then that, that's when you get bitten. Um, in, in professional sport or in high performance, you've just got to make sure that um, what you're doing on Sunday is getting you ready for Monday and Monday for Tuesday and, and vice mm. versa, and nail the process and we're certainly a very process-driven club, and and then if you get that right, then then you give yourself a chance to um to get good outcomes. You know whether that be commercially, community-wise, or, or from a from a high-performance perspective on uh, in, in Super Rugby. So that that would that would be the way that I sort of went about it. Is um I remember the first year, mate. My my goal was just to fulfil my second year of my contract <laughs> um, and, and earn the players' respect and earn the staff's mm. respect and the community's respect, and then. Um, you know, once you've been there a few years, I suppose you get a little bit more confidence and and uh, and know that you you belong. And I think anyone who knows that they belong, um, that's when you can really thrive. How how did the list of Tigers move come about, mate? It was, I mean, we talk about the coaching merry-go-round. This is a classic case of it. Eddie Jones was mm-hmm. well. Eddie Jones is 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 sacked as England coach. The RFU promote 
his Leicester assistant, mm-hmm. <laughs> Steve Borthwick, to become the England coach. Eddie Jones lands in Australia. Dave Rennie is, is moved on. You resign and become Leicester Tigers coach. I mean, it sounds pretty easy when you say it like that, but I'm sure it was a bit more involved. The coaching domino effect, eh? You know, <laughs> one, one, one domino falls and the rest just continue. But yeah, um, look, how, how it all came about, uh, <clears throat> I, I they showed some interest uh, pre-Christmas um, yeah. 2022 and, and you know, they did um, their due diligence around coaches that would align with them and, and be well suited to them as a club and and for one reason or another I appeared uh, within that list. Um, I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time, to be honest, because I was committed through to the World Cup um, and obviously keen to, to see that out and and, um, and keep working with, uh, with Dave. Um, and things obviously changed. Mm. Um, and, and from my perspective, it didn't change. I'd spoken to Eddie early days um, after the, the decision around Dave Rennie was made. Um, I was excited to learn off Eddie and and uh, and continue to grow as, as a coach. Um, but Leicester, uh, you know, they they upped their their um, um, their drive to try and get me on board, I suppose. And, yeah. and uh, we had further conversations, um, which, to be honest, I, the, the Zoom I, I nearly pulled out of. I just thought, oh, it's, it's, there's no point. But in the end, I thought oh, I'll, I'll give them the respect and have the conversation and. And it went really well, and then another chat happens, and another chat happens, and then all of a sudden, um, they offer you um, the position of, of head coach. And at the end of the day, it came down to uh, I'm a head coach, um, yeah. and f- to develop as a head coach and continue to develop and and grow on f- from the work that I've done over the last five or six years, I needed to be in a head coach role, and I just couldn't see myself being an assistant coach for the next. Uh, sort of three to five years for the next twelve months, well and truly, um, yeah. and that was that was my intention. But um, Leicester came knocking, and when and when big clubs come knocking that are stable with a good roster, um, a really good academy program, um, and and a fan base and supporter base that just has a passion mm-hmm. for the game, it was hard to knock back. It's a it's a funny one. I, I didn't. Um... Like things, things that happen on the other side of the world, we see, you know, we see the press release, and even when it's an Australian coach, in, in your case, you just go, "Oh well, I know him. Good luck to him," sort of thing. But it was actually a couple of weeks later, I saw another announcement from uh, from from the Tigers, and I can't even remember who it was, but they announced a string of re-signings. And the opening line of the press release, Harry said, "The Tigers are proud to announce a a, 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 a string of re-signings to join Dan McKellar's team in 24." I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is happening, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Dan. The, it seems like the Tigers are the brumbiest team in England. You've got uh, Montoya, the spine Montoya. You got uh, Pollard. You got Visa. You got Freddie Stewart. You have two England scrum offs uh, in um, Youngs and Van Portfleet. It seems like you could step right into that, and obviously you're going to bring your own spin. But it seems like it's ready made for you. Is that was that part of the? Part of the attraction that, that you're not going in to reinvent the wheel? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's what the attraction from Leicester was originally. And then it was certainly the attraction for me was the alignment mm-hmm. um between my coaching philosophy and, and, and how I coach uh and how they play and and um and, and what they stand for as as a club as and as an organization around their DNA and you know they're a combative team. Um they they pride themselves on their set piece, 
uh, and their defence and, and their traits that I love in, in certainly in my rugby team. Um, but I go there with a really open mind, knowing that for us to evolve and, and continue to grow, um, you know, we, we can't just be a one-trick pony. We need to be able to score mm-hmm. tries. And, uh, pretty similar when I took over the Brumbies, to be honest. Uh, like everyone always talks about them all and but the shifts that we made within our attacking game over the five years there were, yeah. were really pleasing. And I think I, I'd be looking to do the same at, uh, at, at Leicester. You don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, but you certainly understand that there's got to be growth and involvement within the group and within the style of play that we choose to play. And and I see huge opportunity there. I love that you're saying we already. You've slotted straight into this, haven't you? Yeah, and I, I noticed that myself, actually. I was going to, I was going to check myself. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've, I've been to Leicester. I've been to Walford Road now. So it's, uh, it's, it's play on. It's great atmosphere. Yeah, probably oh, can't. It's unreal. Yeah, yeah. unreal. Dan, had there been any kind of understanding with you and Dave uh, that you were being looked at as the successor? Uh, Was that part of the the, the picture as well? Um, Look, it it had been mentioned. um, But to be honest, I never get too excited about those sorts of things, (laughs) Harry. uh, And, and mate, I don't stand here and I've never stood here and there's been a whole lot of media about it over the last couple of years. Um, I don't think it's anyone's God-given right to just walk in and think they're going to be coaching Australia. And sure. uh, if I coach Australia one day, that would be an enormous uh, privilege and an opportunity and something that I'd be really grateful for. It'd be a dream come true, but mm-hmm. I'll never be defined by by that. You know, I, I just love coaching. I love coaching any, any group of men and, and um, you know, that club rugby environment as well, where you really do get to build your own environment and, culture for want of a better word and and, and get mm. a group of men together to try and achieve a common goal. I love that um, over the course of a season. So, um, yeah, there'd been conversations, but, mate, those, those things go pear-shaped all the time. And, and as we can see, it went pear-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. How, was it after the, the second, third or fourth Zoom call, mate, that you had to go upstairs there from your man cave and tell <laughs> Carla and the girls that, we might have a job offer on the other side of the world. Yeah, yeah, no, those conversations are harder than uh, calling Eddie Jones up, to be honest, and telling him <laughs> everything or not. Um, but I'm, I'm very lucky that I've got, uh, well, you know, Brett, I've got a, a beautiful wife and, and yeah. two beautiful daughters who are incredibly supportive. That they, they moved from Brisbane initially to Tuggeranong and, and then, you know, back for me to go to Japan and then back to Canberra again and, um, so yeah, no, they're they're really supportive, and um, yeah, and and look, it was it was a tough conversation, but uh, I think we look at it as a really great opportunity for us as a family as well. The girls mm-hmm. are growing up quickly to live in another country, experience a completely new culture and life experience, and travel and and all those sorts of things. It, you know, that hopefully in a few years time we look back at it and and, and their memories that that we'll all have forever. You know. And, Mm. And the girls will th- threw themselves into the Brumbies community, and they'll do the same with with the Leicester Tigers, and and um, hopefully it's it's a great time for all of us. You've just come back from um, from your first recce trip. If Harry's set any precedent, you've got another four or five before you actually start coaching over there to look forward to. Did did you take the family with you, or, or have you sort of scoped things out yet, or is that still to come? Uh, the girls didn't come, uh, unfortunately. They weren't too happy about it. Carla did, um, but Amelia and Maya stayed. They, they had to go to school and, and uh, you know, they're like, well, what, have I got, what have we got to go to school for, Dad? We, you know, we're, we're starting the school. We're, we're leaving here. In the UK, so we'll just, we'll just go then. But, um, 
So Carla came over and it was a really good week, to be honest. Yeah. Um, just meeting and, and, and greeting people at the club, players, staff, marketing, commercial, community, um, game day. Um, yeah, they're all incredibly helpful. Um, really beneficial to myself, but probably more so to Carla, just to get an understanding and a feel for how the club works and how supportive they are and, mm. and how you know uh, enthusiastic they are to make it a great experience. Yeah, did she notice similarities with the Brumbies as well? Oh, I think so. She, yeah, she right. certainly noticed similarities with the weather. <laughs> <laughs> she did. So, just got, just got yeah. used to life back in Brisbane for 18 months and then yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's it. So we're going to bank some vitamin D. But, um, <laughs> but oh, mate, the Midlands are beautiful. Uh, yeah. like the, the, the countryside and... and uh, it's something that I've never really experienced before, to be honest. When you go on tours and that over there, you're always in the big cities, but to to travel through the Midlands and we obviously yeah. looked at different places where we might live. It's it's a beautiful country. Um mm. and, and look forward to uh to being there um for a few years. Mm-hmm. You, uh, yeah, you you're looking forward to being able to chase players from around the world. I mean, the signing of Andre Parler, the World Cup winner, it took a long time. It was very painstaking, a lot of scouting involved, but it also took a lot of money. Um mm. You know, are you looking forward to the uh, the ability to do some of that? Maybe you know, kind of fit for purpose scouting. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think, uh, t- to be honest, what really attracted me to them, and again, this is the similarities to to the Brumbies, is is their academy program and, and their desire and willingness to want to develop their own. Um, because it's just so hard these days to to recruit um, multiple players. And, you know, I'm a big believer in Ben Darwin's cohesion theory. Yeah. Um, and if they, they, if they come through the 18s, play A games together, um, they train together for, for a number of years before they get to the senior side, then they're in a position to thrive. But on the flip side of that, Harry, yeah, you're right. It's exciting to be able to coach, um, guys like Andre Pollard, you know, he's, he's a player I've always thought, um, there's, there's, probably a bit more to his game than, than what's seen uh, for the Springboks in particular. You know, the Springboks play the Springboks way and it's very successful for them. And and I don't mean that to be disrespectful in any way, but he's a big body. Um, he's quite sharp, got good acceleration. Uh, I think he can really challenge the line um, from an attacking point of view. And he's starting to do that in recent games. He's built real yep. confidence. So working with those sorts of players, uh, Julian Montoya as well, you know, like just, just, unbelievable world-class yeah. players in their position. I, I'm excited about it. You mentioned there before ringing Eddie Jones. How did that conversation go down? Uh, yeah, look, it was um, it was one of those conversations. I reckon it was equal to when I first rang Dave Rennie to have to pull out of the Wallabies back in 2020, was it? I think it was yeah, 2020. Yeah, right. Yeah, you sort of drive. You drive around the block a, a number of times, and <laughs> keep driving around the block, and, and eventually you find the courage to press to press call. So uh, I, I called him, and uh, look, mate, he was great. To be honest, he was very understanding, very reasonable. I'm sure he was disappointed, and and probably um, once he got off the phone, um, wasn't too happy. Um, and it was tough, you know, because as I said, I'd, I'd committed and was keen to work with him, but. Um, it can't, as I said, it was assistant coach versus head coach. But in terms of his attitude and, and encouragement, mate, I've had many conversations with him since and um, over the phone and, and, and via text message and, and, and uh, plan to meet up with him and 
and discuss all things rugby. It's the relationship is is still is still there. We haven't burnt any bridges, and that was really important to me. He hasn't tried to talk you out of it. No, honestly, he didn't. Uh, yeah. He didn't. And at all, his attitude was, mate, it's your coaching career. You need to do what's best for you. Um, disappointing that you won't be with us, but but understand. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, he's, he's been helpful. He's obviously yeah. he's got a, a huge knowledge of, of all things rugby um, in the north and knows the premiership well. So I, I pick mm-hmm. his brain regularly. Is it satisfying for you that, and I've heard him say this a few times since the uh, the, the, the camp up on the Gold Coast last week, that... Um, He's mentioned a couple of times that 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 Dave Rennie's left him a really good platform, and he's and he's you know he's he's done he's done his recce trip over to France as well, and and all those plans that you guys set up are all still in place. He's done his April camp on the on the Gold Coast, like you guys were, were going to do. Is is it satisfying to know that the program that you'd set up for the Wallabies this year is now being used by one of the very leading coaches in the world? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and look, Eddie, Eddie knows that um, there's not a lot of time. He's got he's yeah. got to prioritise and and, um, and and the things that he wants to change, he needs to make sure that that he's certain that they they need to change. But um, you know, he's got Chris Webb there as his general manager of yeah. high performance, who, who was involved in that as well. So there's some continuity there. Obviously, the the same leadership group it appears. So um, you know, he's he's certainly not going. He knows he can't waste time trying to chop and change where we train or where we set up and that sort of thing. You know, he respects it. Dave Rennie and the previous coaching group um, know how to run a, a pretty good program. All he'll do now is he'll just tweak it and and make the yep. changes that he sees necessary. Rugby on the Raw. Dan, your coaching road so far, it's gone everywhere it's come from from brisbane to canberra to japan back to canberra back to brisbane i mean mm. when when you when you first got into the game when you first started coaching with south pretty much well you started coaching in ireland before you'd even stopped playing hadn't you you had a, had a season over there too, didn't you uh, yeah I, I coached wicklow i was player coach um that was i was, I was only 25 so oh, i've always yeah. wanted to be a coach i think i've told you that in the past yeah. that Coaching was always something I was going to do from from a young age, um, and a mate of mine used to coach Wicklow before me, and he asked if he knew of any if I knew of anyone that was interested, and I said, "Well, I am." And originally the club said, "No, you're too young; you can come as a player." I said, "Well, if I'm not coaching, I'm not coming." And in the end, they said, "Well, yep, yep, we'll, we'll get you to come over and do both." And yeah, had had some success, and but. Um, yeah, no, it's been an interesting sort of ride, hasn't it? You know, it's, um, I never got into coaching to be a professional coach. I got into yeah, to, right. to stay yeah. involved in the club and, and and the South community, to be honest. And because I, I, I was really worried about missing the dressing shed. That's that's why <laughs> yeah. I coach. Yeah, I, I, coach, I coach for the dressing shed, um, and just that crack a beer after a game, sit around and talk about the hard work, the preparation. Uh, that 80 minutes um, of blood, sweat and tears that um, produce ideally um, a win because mm. uh, winner's beer always tastes that little bit better. <laughs> um, that's that's why I started coaching. And then, mate, it wasn't until I moved to Tuggeranong that I thought, uh, well, I, I went to Tuggeranong with the intention to to become a professional coach. Yeah, yeah. And you suddenly realised... Yeah, Dan, are there players that you coached 
uh, with the Brumbies that you look at and you see already they're going to be a player coach or a coach that you just think they have that aptitude? Oh, yeah, well and truly. Um, there's a number. I, th- I think the key for coaching is um, you've got to genuinely love it because it's 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 lonely. Uh, it's a long, hard slog where, um, where you're working Sundays, it's 24-7. You, you never mm-hmm. clock off. Um, so you've got to have a supportive family um, and partner, um, and you've got to understand that that from a playing perspective, um, it's very different. You know, the the time commitment is very different. Obviously, the physical, um, the physicality of playing and, and the injuries and that sort of thing and the training load. I've got an enormous amount of respect for players, but if you want to be a coach, um, understand that. So. If guys like Whitey, whose work ethic's enormous, Nick White, I think he's 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 a, a real student of the game, could easily be a coach. I think Jesse Mobb has always been someone yeah. who, who's done really well, and I think that they're mm. starting to um, um, provide him with that opportunity there as well. Lockie McCaffrey was another mm. uh, really smart rugby player who who I knew would would be a coach if he wants to be. Um, but wanting to be a coach and then understanding what's involved uh, are two very different things. But I think those guys that I've mentioned, they will understand that and, and, and have a real thirst for it. And, and Harry, for, so you, then, for you there, Harry, yeah. Jesse Mogg and Lockie McCaffrey are coaching club sides in Canberra this year. Uh, okay. Yeah, and so, Dan, there's also, been, there's also been a development in the MLR. There were coaches that had a fight on the field. And so people have been talking <laughs> about what if coaches could have uh, in a halftime fight in, in that case, I think you, you you might have another leg in your career because you're a big guy. You're a problem. You see the weights behind good you. Good reach. Could you could you take all the current coaches except for someone like Johan Ackerman or something? <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're happy that Brad Thorne's stepping away right now, aren't you? <laughs> Johnny would be tough. Yeah, oh, mate. There's not too many rugby players that are good fighters, to be honest. So. <laughs> no, that's that's I'd true. Be in that, I'd be in that category. <laughs> How um, Laurie Laurie Fisher announced his uh, well, we knew about it for for a little while, I suppose. Announced his intention to to step back at the end of end of this year. I mean, I, I and I've I've asked you this numerous times over the over the years, and I know the answer even. But give us an idea of of how big an influence he's been on you. Ah, uh, yeah, enormous. Um, you know, influence was I, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you blokes now yeah. if it wasn't for Laurie Fisher, and that that's the reality, mate. I was in Japan um, about to pull a pin on coaching and go back to selling orthopedic implants when I found his email and my junk email account. You know what I mean? And that story I've told you a number of times. And but if I hadn't have checked it, and if he hadn't have had the courage to provide me with an opportunity. And that's what coaches, players, we all need an opportunity. Someone's got to back you. Um, someone's got to back Corey Tool to, to play uh, and perform and look at how he's kicked on. You know, it's no different for for a coach. You've got to get that opportunity. Laurie and Steve Larkin provided me with that opportunity. Um, and, yeah, I'll be forever grateful uh, to him for that, you know. And then he was... Uh, director of rugby for a couple of years there and then obviously come back as as my assistant and he was it was a deliberate appointment I wanted an experienced uh, man around me who I trusted and, and and I trust no one more than more than Laurie um and he's been a great sounding board for me over the years and will will continue to be um he's uh he's a mate um he's a coaching colleague and but he's a real mentor you've got a theory in this Harry haven't you that that some guys just 
need to be assistant coaches and some guys need to be head coaches. No, I think it's really interesting. And I think, um, as Dan points out, you know, it's different club to country as well. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of, of being a coach that is almost like a CEO when you're at the test level. But at the club level, like you say, you can really get to know the guys. Is that what you mm-hmm. like the most is really getting to know them like family, like really knowing the guys and their stories uh, because yeah. you have them for years? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Well, that, that's the difference, isn't it? Like in, in international level, it's uh, Australia, five teams thrown together. You've got two weeks to prepare to win a test match against the English or the French whoever it might be, whereas at club rugby level, you, you know, you get to know the, the, the kids, um, the mm-hmm. wives get to know each other. My wife develops friendships with the players, partners, kids know the kids. It's it's that really real family environment that, that you can create and, and that's what's really special at the Brumbies and, and always has been. And, and that's, that's, you know, that's an important part, I feel, as, as the role of the head coach is making sure that everyone really feels a part of, of the journey and, and and feels comfortable, and when they drive through the gates, that they feel uh, like they're a part part of the club, or that the boys love coming to work. What are the, what are the moments in your in your coaching life or the coaching days where you just where you've done something, you know, that you weren't one hundred percent sure whether it would work or not, and you might have got a little bit of it, like it was it was probably funny in that moment, or it or it just worked, and you just thought that's actually pretty cool. Like there must have been moments like that all along the way. Um. Oh, there, there certainly has been. I, I think. Um. Yeah. I, I suppose when I first took over, you know, and we wanted to change how we attacked. Um. And, and mate, after eight rounds, we were two wins and six losses or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I, I certainly wasn't laughing about it. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, um, we clicked. Uh, we went over to South Africa and. Should have beaten the Lions, but big Rory Arnold got a red card and the, uh, the tide sort of turned and then we beat the Bulls at Loftus and Tom Banks. It was sort of the making of him that 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 day, that mm. long-range try that he scored. And 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 the vision um, and the courage that we had to to stick to stick to the vision and, and not shy away from it um, was there for all to see over the next sort of uh, eight weeks. And we just missed out on the finals, gave the Tars a hiding up in Sydney um, in the last last competition round and, and finished the season really well. So you sort of sit back and 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 you and you're proud that you that you and the group, not just yourself, mm. um, stuck to stuck to that vision. Um and then I think what I learned out of that is um how, how you attack impacts how you defend and, and you can't um just be thinking that it's it's all about attack. You know, it's you got to have balance. And um, and I think as a coach now, I've got a real clear understanding of, of that balance that's required to to play a style that's going to resonate and connect with your fans, but also, mm-hmm. most importantly, allow you to win rugby games and allow you to win, uh, you know, knockout competition games. Yeah. How- you know, it seemed like the role of the role, how you handle the lost ball in rugby is such a huge thing with a constant, yeah. you know, battle for possession, but, but how a lost ball can hurt you so badly in rugby. Look at Nick Frost try. But also, I was watching Leicester against Leinster, and I was wondering, how do you beat a team like Leinster? Well, one thing you cannot do is give up the ball in turnover situations, right? So when you're approaching that now as a as, as a club coach, how do you beat a team like Leinster? They look they look almost <laughs> unbeatable right now. Yeah. Uh, it's, tactically, you've got to nail it tactically. Um, and, and there's so much talk around possession and attacking rugby and 
And, and, and the reality is, at, at the moment, against the best teams in the world, it, it is really hard to attack. So tactically, mm-hmm. um, ha- how can you provide yourself opportunity to attack from a more unstructured situation that you're talking about? Nick Frost try was off a turnover. Yeah, Corey uh, Tools try was off off a turnover where the defence isn't set. Once Leinster uh, is set, Island set, whoever it might be, La Rochelle. Um, Leinster and Island are the same thing, mate. That's been a theme all year. (laughs) And that's where your kicking game comes into it and and how you apply your kicking game and and not being predictable around your kicking game, but kicking to apply pressure, force turnover, and then, bang, capitalising off the the back of it. Um, I thought that's what the Wallabies did well against the Irish um, on the the spring tour and no, we were a decision away from 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 uh, from jagging a pretty famous upset there that day, but um, so that, that's that's what it comes down to is tactically you've got to nail it um, and understand and respect the strengths of the opposition um, and break them down from there. Has it been different for you this year to sit back on the couch there and just watch Super Rugby? Hey, let me let me ask you the same question I asked Robbie Deans ten years ago. Can you sit on your couch now? beer in one hand remote in the other and not worry about it and just enjoy it for what it is? Or are you still sitting there with a notebook? Um, I, I wouldn't, uh, when I was, you know, if I was working for the Wallabies, I'd certainly be sitting there with a notebook. Um, but you've always got that coaching head on and, yeah. and you're analysing, right, what are they doing off this line out? What are they doing off counterattack? Um, what are they trying to do defensively? That's it's just that's just natural. But, mate, it is nice to have a, uh, have, have a, have a can of Forex gold uh, <laughs> and and um, and just sip away and, and understand that, um, that uh, you know, the result's not really going to impact me. Obviously, you still yeah. care about the group and want them to do well and be successful. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they're having a pretty good season so far. So, but it's nice just to be a, uh, it's nice just to be a fan. I actually, yeah. I actually said Actually, said to my wife uh, a couple of weeks ago because I've you know I've done that little bit of work for for Stan, and I said oh, it'd be nice just to go to the rugby and and not have to work one day and just be able to relax. And, and, and she, said, <laughs> she said you wouldn't go to the rugby; you just sit on the couch and, and drink a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this is this, but isn't isn't uh, isn't your brain the kind of coach brain where you're always looking for analysis, even from other sports? I mean, you yeah. could watch a tennis match and take something for rugby, no? Yeah, 100%. Like you watch netball, like obviously got two daughters and they're both good netballers and, and you watch just how they, you know, what they see and how they manipulate and, and attack the space. Um, mm-hmm. I remember spending time with Lisa Alexander and the and the Diamonds, the national team, and, and you know, how they would train and how they would play and tactics. And, yeah, it's it certainly it's how does that work or how does that relate to, to your particular game? Because at the end of the day, they're all they're all very similar. Yeah, yep. yeah. But what I what I have got to know about Dan McKellar, Harry, over the years is that he's got a wicked sense of humour and he got really, really good in a press conference situation of delivering his line absolutely deadpan and then he'd just give you a little bit of a wink and <laughs> just give you a little bit of a nudge and and you definitely got better at that, Dan. You enjoyed that by the time you finished here down here, didn't you? Oh, look, I, I you know, I think the media is an important part of it. Um, yeah. And it's... You know, we got a responsibility as coaches to um to to ensure that um we support the journalists and yeah. that rugby's on the back pages or it's on TV and that sort of thing. And if we're all throwing out the same one liners and mm. boring the crap out of each other, it's it's not too, it's not too much fun. So you know, I, 
Yeah, I'd certainly try and lighten it up a little bit every now and then. And I bring this up very deliberately. This is absolutely a loaded question. You've already mentioned Rory Arnold. I want to take you back a couple of years ago. Brumbies played, I can't even think who it was in a trial game. It might have been New South Wales. And it was either in Goulburn or it might have been down in Tuggeron. Rory and Richie Arnold were both playing. And I remember saying to you on the Tuesday, don't you dare run them out in the same number because it was one of those games, Harry, where they ran out 28 and, you know, they sort of changed jumps at halftime. And what happened midway through the second half, Dan? This is the time. <laughs> this is your point to admit this, isn't it? Both running around in number four. Both running around in <laughs> number four. And the only way, Harry, that I could tell them apart, because I'm trying to commentate this game, is that I'd noticed on that Tuesday that Rory had orange stripes on his boots and, and Richie yeah. had white. It was the only way I could tell him the difference. And I specifically said to him, don't you dare bloody run him out the same number. And he did. Always wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Well, it would have been really great if they got penalised for crossing or obstruction for each other. It would be really great. <laughs> <laughs> there's identical twins and then there's the Arnold brothers. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. And you'd be, you'd be pleased, having had a little bit to do with Richie, to see him get a little bit of national recognition this year with, with that inclusion at his squad. Oh, yeah, no, I think it's great. I would have loved to have coached Richie um, for longer, to be honest. Like he, he ended up at the Brumbies really off the back of the force being cut. Yeah. Um, and then just delegating where, where the players would go. And and uh, I really enjoyed working with him. And uh, he's he's just a, a cut and paste of, of Rory, to be honest. And <laughs> over in Toulouse, he's, um, he's developed into his own player. He's not in his brother's shadow any longer. And he's, and he's really thriving, but had the potential to be just as good. And, and, that, and that's been proven. Yeah. Um, he's a big man. He's They're both aggressive and have that nasty streak in them. And and that's something as a coach that you, that you love, and and obviously Eddie's identified that as well. Yeah. What about um? What about game trends this year? What what have you noticed whilst you've been sitting at home on the on the couch? What what have you noticed that might be a little bit different in the game this year to even even the back half of last year? I, I think there's longer periods of ball and play now. There's this yeah. fascination around ball and play, which I'll I'm happy to talk about in a sec. <laughs> but I think there's been longer periods of ball and play, and that comes down to uh, the kicking strategy applied by a lot of teams. I think if you look statistically, so many tries are scored from line-out or initiate from line-out. So yeah. teams are deliberately trying to avoid line-out. So when you play the Brumbies, uh, for example, or you know you play Leinster, um, you're trying to avoid line-out. And um, so they're kicking long and then they're keeping the ball on the field. Um, so that means that if it's a kick battle – then all of a sudden you've got long periods of, of ball in play. But I, I think the fa- the fascination for ball and play really uh, really surprises me. And I'll give you an example. I think the, the lowest ball in play time last year was the Melbourne test against the All Blacks. Um, yeah, right. Best footy. Now, that was probably the best test test match. Um, of the year, comfortably. Yeah. Uh, all year, by a mile. I think it was 26 50 or something like that. It was around mm. 27 minutes. And the reason why the ball and play was lower was because there's obviously tries being scored and conversions being kicked and and that sort of thing. And it was an entertaining game. So I, I don't get the fascination uh, with it. I understand that we want to cut the dead time, definitely. Yeah. But you need to have 40 minutes of ball and play. I think that the Brumbies Hurricanes on the weekend was, was close to that. Um, TMOs, the fact that there's less TMO, I think that's been a real positive 
Yeah. Um, just giving the yellow card and then coming back for a decision on, on the red card. I think that that's that's worked out really well. And again, that's just cut dead time and mm. frustration. For, and, for, and, uh, for the- and I think it's a fair sign of how well it's worked that the world rugby are effectively rushing that through to the to the World Cup. That try under twenties level, try at the rugby championship. We want to make sure this works, and then we are going to put it in. That's what it feels like now. I think so. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing whispers that Joel Jutes looking at the orange card as well. You know, and 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 I've been a big believer in that for uh, for a long time. I think. Um, there's yellow cards for minor infringement. There's accident, accidental foul play, which which we'll see, and and that's for me that's a, a twenty minute orange card. And then if someone whacks someone or stomps on someone or eye gouges or does something deliberate, then throw the book at them. Yeah, fair enough. What about um, rugby world cup expectations now? And now that you've had to put the put the coach's clipboard up, how will you watch on? that differently now and what and what what are you expecting to see now as a as a non-assistant coach uh yeah it's it's interesting going back to harry's comments about you know the chiefs and the crusaders game earlier i think um this world cup really suits new zealand i think for the first time ever they'll just fly under the radar Mm. um they'll they'll turn up with no expectation if they get knocked out in the the quarterfinals, it'd probably be disappointment. Semifinals, it'd be like, oh, you know, that's what everyone expected. Um, so I think that sort of works in their favour. Clearly, the French and the Irish are the, are the two teams to beat. Um, but as I've always thought, and as people were saying on the spring tour last year, is you don't want to play Australia at the back end in, in tournament rugby. And I think if we can get our best players on the park and keep our best players healthy, and that's always been the case. If you go back to the late 90s and 2000s, mm. if you take out Eels, Gregan, Larkin, Joe Roth, then Australia's not winning any World Cup. Yeah. And if you mm. take out Karevi, Cooper, um, that, that type of player uh, this year, then 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 we're going to struggle to win. But if mm. we can keep our best players on the park nice and healthy, then I think the expectations uh, for us to perform well um, and get to a semi-final. And once you get to a semi-final, then it's, um, it's anyone's mm. game. That, Dan, were the were the injuries of twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one were those just horrible uh, random events, or did you look later back and say that there was something missing in the SMC program? Uh look, yeah, uh, there's always some bad luck. I, 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 you know, I do think that the the you know we had quite a number of changes throughout our SNC programming and um and changes of staff, um, regular changes and. And that certainly impacts anything within a uh, within an SNC program that's always going to promote injury is change, yeah. um, and, and, mm-hmm. and there was just so much of it, and a lot of it, you know, was out of out of people's control. But I think that's key. Uh, and what came out of review was that we need to nail that. You've got to get your performance staff. They're as important as your coaching group, um, and you can't run a world class program without it. Um, and it's um, it, once you've got consistent world class people in place in Australia, we've certainly got plenty of them. Um, then, then then we can allow the program to 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 shine in, across all departments and 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 not undervalue S and C if that's if that makes sense. That's what happened to Brett. He went out for cricket and pulled a hamstring because didn't have good S and C backing him. <laughs> that's, no, no, I had twelve years of no S and C. That was the problem. <laughs> Clearly not sprinting enough, mate. The, the the best way to avoid a hamstring injury is sprint. Yeah. Above 
Yeah, no, I've, I've I've always said that, Dan. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you um, there would have been a realization last year when you're putting that World Cup program together that that actually this draw there's a this draw is there for the Wallabies. Like it's yeah. it's 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 just there. It's ready to go. I mean that, and so I guess the the question there is, it must be it's going to be hard for you to watch, knowing what you'd set up there this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I think so. Um, but um, it's funny. Like I, ha- I haven't, and a lot of people have asked. You know, have you have you got regret? And and um, obviously, it would have been nice to have, have gone to the World Cup. But I made my decision, and whilst I'll miss some experiences there, um, I'll, I'll gain other experiences. You know, and, and spoke about Welford Road and Saturday afternoon. At Welford Road, uh, Leicester Tigers versus Saracens. Uh, you know that's twenty five thousand people. That excites me. Um, now it's not eighty five thousand people in Paris, and that was unbelievable last year. Mm. Um, that that that's um, you know that's top of that's at the top of our game. But um, you make your decisions and you move on with it, and, and I'll, I'll I'll support them like I always have supported the Wallabies. And it's a draw that um, that that's they can't take it for granted and just expect that that's going to get them through because at the end of the day they'll play probably England or or Argentina in a quarter final. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. That'll be that'll be the tricky one. Um, but to do that, they've got to make sure that Wales and Fiji are always strongest at World Cups because they can spend ten weeks together and 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 get into the type of condition that they've never been in before. And and when they're fit and firing, they're dangerous. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mate, look, it's been it's been a great chat. I, I knew it would be. Uh, I think you knew it would be. It was just a matter of when we could finally do it. So, thanks so much for for giving us a bit of time. Um, what's the What's the time frames now? When do when do you head head over to Leicester permanently? Uh, I'll probably head over around mid June. Yeah. Um, so I'll just watch closely over the next couple of weeks. Um, Leicester have got uh, it's a confirmed semi already away to sale. So um, the reality is preseason will start um, in that early part of part of July um, before the cup comp starts in September. So. Um, yeah, the uh, it's the calm before the storm, mate. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Hey, it certainly and Dan, is. could you do me a favor and uh, teach Jasper Visa to offload? Just a little favor, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just I can't, I can't work to wait with him. Uh, <laughs> work with him, sorry, but um, yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll remember that, Harry, for sure. <laughs> Just asking for a friend. Now, Matt, thanks, thanks very much for, uh, for for having a chat to us, and um, and and best of luck with the move, and, and and hope it all goes well for you guys and the family. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for having me, fellas. Cheers. The roar. Harry, fantastic to have uh, Dan McKellar on on the pod. Um, we, I think, we knew it would be a, it would be a great chat, and uh, and it certainly was that. You would have learnt a little bit about him. Yeah, I'd so. I thought he was so open, not cagey. Like a lot of coaches are cagey or what I would say, putting on a persona. I think he's just a normal guy. What you see is what you get. Love it. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty much how it was with Dan. He was sometimes too honest for his own for his <laughs> own good. But he was just, you know, you meet you meet people in rugby along the way. And and I'm not I'm not gonna claim Dan McKellar's a close mate of mine, but I've I've got to know him over the years. Um, you know, just just a good guy, and I'm just I'm just really really happy for him. So, um, Champions Cup semi-finals wrapped up on the weekend. Final is now set um, for what are we talking? May? Yeah, I think there's a break of May twenty. Weeks, May twenty. I beg your pardon. Yeah. Sorry. Look, yeah. look up the page there. So, I yeah. don't think there was any real 
strange any any surprises in the results. Leinster beat to lose 41-22. Uh, La Rochelle beat Exeter 47-28. I mean, the, I only saw the Leinster game, and that was over after half an hour, wasn't it? It was like 27-3 yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I thought the I thought the La Rochelle match was entirely predictable. I actually thought it would have would be more fight from Toulouse than they showed. Um, but I do think that the Leinster way they scored five tries by forwards was interesting. They yeah. showed a power game against Toulouse, and they handled it very well. Yeah, no, they certainly did. And and the uh, the Challenge Cup um, semi-finals wrapped up as well, and that's left us with a a final on the 19th of May between the Glasgow Warriors and uh, and Toulon. Uh, and then both those European finals are at the Aviva in Dublin. The URC quarterfinals this weekend, mate. This will get you interested in this uh, again. Ulster and Connaught, uh, followed by Stormers and Bulls on Saturday. Leinster and the Sharks and uh, Glasgow against Munster. Uh, sort of feels like that they will probably go to type, I think. Should go to form, but you don't want to play the Bulls. They're actually peaking just at the wrong time for my little stormers. Uh, but you would think in this type of match, near the end of the season, you'd probably go for their favorites, which is what I should have been telling myself in tipping Super Rugby all year, by the way. <laughs> yes, well, this is all very, very true. We'll get on to that in just a second. The Super W semifinals were also played uh, in Australia on the weekend. A couple of absolutely ripping semifinals. Uh, the New South Wales Waratahs women who finished on top this year and, and were comfortably the best team of the season, uh, won all five games, in fact, beaten 20-17 to 17 by the Fijiana and Drua, which was last year's champions. And then the Queensland Reds and the ACT Brumbies women played out an epic 23-20, the Reds won in the end. So that sets up a final uh, on Saturday night up in Townsville between the Reds and the, uh, uh, and the Drua women, which would be the first... Um, domestic final that hasn't involved New South Wales in a maybe ever, in fact, which gives you an idea of how they've uh, how they've dominated the women's game in Australia. Um, Super Rugby round eleven this weekend, uh, and it was good to have six games again on the weekend. Four games back to back on Saturday was great, and we get that again this Saturday. Starts with uh, the Highlanders and Chiefs in Dunedin on Friday at uh, it's five oh five Australian time. Then on Saturday it's the the Drua and the Hurricanes in Suva from midday. The Crusaders and Force in Christchurch. Uh, from 2.30, the Blues and Moana Pacifica in Auckland at 5.05, and then the Queensland Reds and the New South Wales Waratahs following the Super W final up in Townsville from 7.30. The Rebels and the Brumbies played in Melbourne on Sunday at 2.35. Um, it's an interesting round coming up. Yeah, it presents me some possibilities. I tried my best uh, last round to make up some ground, but the mm. Waratahs, Foiled my plans by winning by one point. Yes. Oh. Well, on, the, on the tipping front, I'd no longer lead. Um, the streak ended at 27, which I was sort of was a bit worried that it would be the case. The Hurricanes being the Brumbies brought me undone. Uh, we you, put both... the marker on your, you put the marker on yourself. I think you said it too many times. You I put might the have marker done. on yourself, I'm you sure. Might, it might be right. We both got we both got four, so the gap is still seven. Uh, and it will be back on Thursday on the site, so you can check on that. A little bit of news quickly, mate, as we wrap this up. Uh, Sia Khaleesi's <laughs> did, did a knee injury, a major knee injury last weekend, didn't become apparent until after last week's pod. There were fears he might miss the World Cup, but it seems now he's had surgery and he might be a chance. Am I reading that right? 
there is still a very big shot that he will miss it. Um, mm. It's all going to come on the rehab. And as you know, that's about inflammation, infection, dodging those two things. Um, but he can. It's possible. It's possible mm. that he will. If he does, it'll he'll return just like Etzebeth during the rugby championship, you know, which is fine. Both those players know how to come back from injury, but it's still touch and go. Yeah. Yeah. For a major knee yeah. injury, it's, um, it's, it's, it's oh, good luck. That's all I can say. Uh, yeah. Scott Robertson has, has confirmed he's, uh, he's all that coaching team for, for next year. Uh, Jason Ryan, the exist, the current forwards coach will, will continue, but he's going to be joined by blues coach Leon Ryan, Holland, uh, Hurricanes coach, Jason Holland, and the other Crusaders assistant, Scott Hansen. So that's now three Super Rugby sides in New Zealand looking for new coaches next year, in the Crusaders' case, looking for three. But Robertson has opened the door for the possibility of selecting overseas players next year, and he basically said, you've got to remain a step ahead because if you aren't, that's when you sort of get left behind, was his words. And that already hasn't gone down very well. Ian Foster predictably has come out and said, that would be a disaster that happens. It's already been dubbed the Ritchie rule, mate, which is the New Zealand equivalent of the, of the Guido law. Uh, and that's simply because Richie Mawanga and Bowden Barrett are both going to Japan next year. On that topic, Damien McKenzie on Sunday re-signed with the Chiefs and New Zealand rugby for another two years. So... Maybe things are falling into place there, but it will be fascinating to see whether he can get that over the line or not. Oh, absolutely. But I think it's a reflection that New Zealand is no longer ahead. They were always they were ahead for 10 years, 12 years, and now they really are trying to catch. Yes. And I think you do, you do different things when you're trying to catch up. So. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt at all. Uh, Crusaders and, and, uh, and, and All Black second row, Sam Whitelock, played his 350th first-class game on the weekend. Uh, the Crusaders uh, lost to the Chiefs, um, but is set to leave New Zealand. Looks like uh, there's reports out there suggesting that he's going to sign with uh, top 14 outfit pole after the uh, after the World Cup, So, uh, which would mainly be set to join his brother Luke. Over there, Luke played for the Highlanders from uh, from from memory. And follow up to the aforementioned Major League Rugby coaching brouhaha, uh, MLR handed out six weeks suspensions to both Houston's Putter Human and New York's Ollie Richardson after that coach to coach dust up. But on the plus side for publicity for the MLR. The video got about four hundred thousand views. So <laughs> make of make of that what you will. But mate, I think that is us done for episode sixty of the Raw Rugby Podcast. Um, Harry and I are both on the socials. Don't forget that you can see Harry's very well, very styled photos from Paris uh, through all those <laughs> platforms. Don't forget to leave us a rating or a review if your pod platform allows it, and do like, follow, subscribe on your platform of choice, and you make sure you see those new episodes as soon as they go live. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the Raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite rugby analysis, opinions, and conversations. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Allez, joue avec nous.